Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Picture yourself alone in the middle of nowhere, and there's somebody following you. He went on his way, we so thought, and then we went on ours. But in reality, he really followed us up there. On Deadly Nightmares, the true crime podcast from ID, listen to real stories of ordinary people stalked by serial killers and attackers. Please, tell me we're not going to die. Listen to Deadly Nightmares on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The following podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all listeners. Some of the people you're about to hear were recorded over a course of time in our investigation by a combination of phone calls and in-person interviews. So audio quality will vary. I'm not a mystical person or anything, but it's almost like in order for this to happen the way it did, everything had to line up exactly at the same point because otherwise it's too unbelievable. And what happens is all of a sudden you're looking at judgments you've made on other people. It's like, oh yeah, he had to have done it, or oh no, she's the one that's guilty. And all of a sudden, now you're that person. And it's like, whoa, there really is another side to the coin. There really is another part to the story. We're the ones living through it now, and it, it's horrible. That's the voice of Paula Seri, recalling the days after her sister, Diane Ward, was found dead. And it was clear by this point, law enforcement had quickly determined that Bob Ward was guilty of murdering his wife. From the minute Bob Ward was arrested until the day his trial began, the world began judging Bob and his family. There was kind of a bad taste in the public's mouth after Casey Anthony was acquitted. And I think there was a little bit of a feeling like, we can't let this happen again. There was kind of this thirst for the bad guy to get it. I believe that they argued, and he picked up a gun, and he shot her. Not a single person that knows my family thinks that he did this. He was a very smart person, but the other side was the nasty side. This is not a murder. This is the opposite of a murder scene. If this was some tragic accident, wouldn't he have tried to look for a pulse? There is not physical evidence, and you have a trail of people who didn't do their goddamn job. There's a verdict in the murder trial of Isleworth millionaire Bob Ward. Damn it! 
think this was an accident or a murder? I, I really can't say. From Discovery Plus, ID, and Joke Productions, this is Unraveled, Mystery at the Mansion, a nine-part podcast that takes a deep dive into the story of a family torn apart. A trial turned into a media spectacle and investigates the mystery. What really happened to Diane Ward? Before we delve into how Bob and Diane built the life they had together, it's important to know the atmosphere that Bob's case took place in, with all the explosive news stories that dominated the headlines. In September of 2008, exactly one year before the lives of Mallory and Sarah Ward were turned upside down, the Ward family was struck by a catastrophe, the global financial crisis. The crisis affected everyone in America, but it centered on their father's industry, real estate. Bob Ward's company, Land Resource LLC, had developed close to 20 residential communities. He'd built the entire enterprise from the ground up. Many, like Drew Petromo, a former reporter with WFTV in Orlando, were intrigued to discover that Bob's background was a rags-to-riches story. Bob Ward is from Florida. He's from Daytona Beach. And his wife, Diane, is from Rockledge, which is about an hour south, also along the coast. He grew up pretty humble means. His father owned a gas station. He ended up moving to Atlanta, which is where he met his wife, Diane. They were both working for a company there. And he was a developer. He developed luxury vacation-style homes all over the southeast. We developed subdivisions for second homes and vacation homes. So they were coastal or mountain or lake properties. And we built the infrastructure and the amenities. And then the people would buy the lots and bring in their own builders and build on the lots whenever they decided to. That's Beth Nowlin. She was Bob's assistant for eight years and was one of his first employees. He was doing, you know, what I consider fairly well when I first met him, but then it just grew exponentially. To keep up with demand, Bob brought dozens of employees on board, including his wife's sister, Paula Seri. We were all working very, very hard because what happens, you have a grand opening and you like sell these lots before, you know, you even basically dig a road out there. And it, it certainly wasn't glamorous. I mean, you're showing property in South Georgia on the coast in August with chiggers and ticks, mosquitoes. But, you know, the view and everything of where this property was was just gorgeous. It was exceptional. It's absolutely amazing. According to Liz Green, one of Bob's business attorneys, another key to his success was selling mortgages at the same time as the land. So you would come in, you'd look at this piece of property, and you would, you know, sign a contract, put a deposit down, walk over to the next desk, and um, get a loan. As housing prices skyrocketed, so did the Ward's bank accounts. In the early 2000s through the mid-2000s, that was an extremely lucrative business to be in, and he capitalized. They lived in a, outside of Atlanta. They were members of prestigious country clubs, not only there, in Florida, in the Keys. They just you know, lived a really wealthy lifestyle. He bought a yacht. He had a membership to NetJets, so he would be picked up on a private jet and flown to 
wherever he needed to go and fly back. Bob's business continued to soar until the economy crashed and burned. For many Americans, it was a time of true despair. Sitting here in 2021, it's a little hard for us to remember what the mood was back then, but this was at the height of the real estate bubble having burst and a lot of people were out their money and, and people you know, were really hurt by that. That's James Fellman, one of Bob's defense attorneys. He had concerns over how a potential jury would view a real estate mogul in the midst of the recession brought on by the housing crisis. Bob was in real estate and a lot of his creditors, you know, were people who had bought homes, who didn't have them built. And, and the implications seemed to be that, you know, all these terrible things you've been reading about in the real estate market of all these real estate developers that got rich ripping everybody off, he's one of them. That's what it looked like. The media ran stories which added more fuel to an already burning fire. They couldn't resist. They wanted to let everybody know, oh, and by the way, this guy's money all comes from your, your real estate bust that not enough people are being prosecuted for, and so here's another reason to convict this guy. So once that cat's out of the bag, you can't, you know, you can't put that back. Reporter Drew Petromo explains why these stories struck such a chord. I think there is a, a desire among the public to see kind of rich people be taken down to the same level as everyone else and maybe experience the same problems that everybody else does. So they take them off. I think there's a desire among the public sometimes to see the rich fall from grace. Bob Ward was cast as the perfect villain, but his empire began crumbling well before the night his wife was killed. Their business just completely fell apart. I mean, the revenues were, went way down. The size of their company was reduced to almost nothing from more, you know, hundreds of employees down to dozens. The ward's oldest daughter, Mallory, was away at college. But Sarah, a recent high school grad who was working her way up in the world of competitive horse riding, soon started seeing signs of trouble at home. Things were starting to kind of shut down with the company, and they tried to hide, I think, a lot of that from my sister so she could focus on school and not have to worry. And it's not something that the kids should have to worry about. But because of the horses being such a big expense, I remember, like, my mom, she took me out to lunch, which was weird. She never did that. And just, like, lost it on me. She's like, your dad's wrecked the company, and we're losing everything, and you have to get rid of all your horses right now, and we have to get rid of all of our cars, and we might have to get rid of our house. Like, she was so dramatic. When in reality, yes, we needed to cut way back, but we sold our cars and got new ones, and I just didn't have, couldn't horse show as much, and... We couldn't fly private anymore. We had to fly first class, which I'm sorry, people like don't have water. Like, it's not the end of the world. And I remember trying to tell her that, but I was a 17 year old kid telling my mother that, and it just didn't really register. I think she never grew up with a ton of money. And I think having it and then the thought of losing it again really got to her. During the financial meltdown in 2009, most of Bob's company assets are sold off for about $15.6 million. They were in bankruptcy. They filed, at first it was chapter 11 bankruptcy where the company is trying to reorganize and figure out a way to survive. But eventually that transitioned to chapter seven bankruptcy, which is liquidation, creditors coming after them and trying to find ways to make money off, off their assets, essentially. But Bob's personal assets are a different matter. They're protected by his marriage to Diane. He's still a millionaire living in a mansion in Isleworth. So the optics, you could say, were not good. 
also working against Bob in terms of his future jury pool was how bad the financial crisis had hit Orlando. This was ground zero for what happened with the real estate market during the collapse. I mean, this was a place where people, you know, took out these loans. People lost everything. This was a huge epicenter for people that were flipping homes. And this is the type of business atmosphere that the wards capitalized on. In 2011, Bob was scheduled to be tried for the second-degree murder of his wife. It would take place in the very same room that was witness to one of the biggest courtroom dramas in Florida history, just a few weeks earlier. Casey Anthony was suspected of murdering her two-year-old daughter, Kaylee. And it's probably safe to say, at the time, she was the most hated woman in America. Among other things, she'd been seen out partying in a club, clearly enjoying life while her child was missing. Set the stage for us of what the media landscape was like in Orlando at the time. Well, obviously, Casey Anthony was a huge case. And I think to understand fully how the media environment here is, this is where there's tons of political money being spent at local TV stations. And that breeds intense competition between the local stations in this market. And Casey Anthony was one of those cases that bred that competition and really kind of created this frenzy among the news stations here of trying to get the latest information, following every twist. The most shocking twist, as you may recall, came on July 5th, 2011, the day the jury returned their verdict. In the circuit court for the Ninth Judicial Circuit in and for Orange County, Florida, state of Florida versus Casey Marie Anthony, as to the charge of first-degree murder, verdict as to count one, we, the jury, find the defendant not guilty, so say we all, dated at Orlando, Orange County, Florida, on this fifth day of July. We were kind of coming fresh off of that trial to, to this trial, and, and they kind of followed each other. Like, the cases uh, came out around the same time. People were primed to follow a case like this. Anthony's acquittal not only outraged the public, but according to Bob's lawyer, Liz Green, it mortified the district attorney. There was a lot of uproar um, about the verdict in the Casey Anthony case. And I think um, the prosecution did not want to lose another murder trial in Orange County, for sure. Could public resentment over the verdict in the Casey Anthony trial sway a future jury towards bias in the trial of Bob Ward? And could an embarrassing loss of a high-profile case make the DA's office hungry for a conviction at all costs in their next big case? The DA does not offer Bob Ward a plea deal. The question is, did the DA even have a choice? The entire nation had heard Bob's 911 call, where it sounds as though he's admitting to a crime. I just shot my wife. You just what? I just shot my wife. And you're sure there's... She's not breathing, or? She's dead. She's done. I'm sorry. Between the wake of the financial crash and the Casey Anthony verdict, a perfect storm for condemning Bob Ward was brewing. And everyone close to Bob was getting swept up in the fury. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. 
so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Picture yourself alone in the middle of nowhere, and there's somebody following you. He went on his way, we so thought, and then we went on ours. But in reality, he really followed us up there. On Deadly Nightmares, the true crime podcast from ID, listen to real stories of ordinary people stalked by serial killers and attackers. Please, tell me we're not going to die. Listen to Deadly Nightmares on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. I'm very lucky to have a close relationship with my amazing mom, and I'm doubly lucky to be friends with some amazing moms. The thing is, this means that every year, right around this time, I get those panicked phone calls asking for Mother's Day gift recommendations from, obviously, their partners. So I was excited to learn about StoryWorth just in time for Mother's Day 2024. StoryWorth is an interactive way to preserve your loved one's stories for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question like, what do people get wrong about you? Or what's the most incredible trip you've ever been on? All your loved one needs to do is respond to that email with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. StoryWorth will send you a copy of your loved one's response, and after a year, StoryWorth compiles the stories and some photographs into a beautiful hardcover book that will last for generations. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. The moms in my life are big-hearted, hilarious, and they're all super storytellers, so they're going to love StoryWorth. I just know it. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash unraveled. That's storyworth.com slash unraveled to save $10 on your first purchase. So as far as the, you know, the daughters and, and Diane's sister, Paula, they both insisted, they all three of them insisted that Bob was innocent. How did this play in the public? It was pretty hard to believe what the daughters and sister-in-law and four were saying about him because of the 911 tape. I mean, on the 911 tape, he says, I shot my wife. I think that the media atmosphere that this case was born into was a bit of a frenzy. And this was also part of the case in the Casey Anthony case. There was this whole notion of ugly coping where after Kaylee Anthony went missing. There were pictures of Casey that was partying downtown. In this case, after the wife is dead, they're having these flippant conversations where they're dancing in the jailhouse videos. 
you know, I just would like to get out of this nasty cell that didn't have any water. I mean, this place hasn't been clean. I can't tell you when. It's awful. <laughs> well, I'll definitely, I'll definitely get on housekeeping for that. Such a lifestyle change for you. I can only imagine. I, I know you're missing up a day. Nobody seems to care, though. Want to let you know how nice I think that you look. It's a really, it's a lovely fall collection that I think you've got on. Oh God, you're great. Well, hopefully I'll be out of this place next week. Can't wait. We first got into these infamous jailhouse videos in episode one of this podcast. As you may recall, the wards had been counseled by their attorney to not discuss the case during their visits. But the awkwardness of the situation triggered the family to cope the best way they knew how, with humor. I think the media had a lot of questions about how they could be acting so flippantly in those interviews. You have Bob Ward kind of dancing and doing a striptease, his sister-in-law playing along. It just, it seems really strange, really strange. I think there was a little bit of maybe editorializing on the part of the media after seeing those videos that how could somebody be dancing after their wife died? We dug up some of those old news stories and discovered there's actually a lot of editorializing by the media. In one, there's a news anchor reporting, Bob Ward is in good spirits, saying he's going to get out of jail very soon and is looking forward to a family Thanksgiving. There's little mention of the woman he was married to for years. Ward doesn't seem sad about the recent events, but what might be more difficult to understand is the family's reaction. The report then cuts to a video clip of daughter Mallory talking to her dad at the jail. Gotta, you know, start, start rebuilding, and you know, we will. I know the three of us can get through it. You know, that's, that's the most important is that, you know, the three of us are together. The message they were broadcasting was coming in loud and clear. The victim's family had all sided with Diane's alleged murderer. You know that we're all praying for you and everything. So happy that you, you're hanging in there, okay? That's what you gotta do, and you'll be fine. Okay. Yeah, no, every, Sarah and I, honest, honestly, like, everyone has been, like, so, so great. You know, you guys really just don't even know what you meant, to, what you guys mean to everyone. Everyone is completely behind, you know, Sarah and I and Auntie and Glenn and, you know, you and everyone is just behind us a million and a half percent. The public was particularly troubled over why Diane's sister, Paula Sari, was so supportive of her brother-in-law. What are some of the rumors that started swirling around Paula? Now Paula is standing behind Bob as opposed to sort of not her sister. What was going on with that? Well, I think everybody kind of assumed the worst when you see that this woman is dead, that the her husband admits to shooting her and the people are standing by this man, people start to question if there's money involved. And because the sister-in-law worked for him and the daughters obviously reap the benefits of having an extremely wealthy dad, you know, there were questions about whether they're doing this, putting on this show, because they're trying to protect their breadwinner for the family and who, who owns all this wealth. I think that's a that's probably a simplistic view of it, but in the public, I think that's what started to come up. Suddenly, Paula Seri found herself under suspicion. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Mallory and I are painted as, like, <laughs> these flamboyant idiots in a jailhouse video, but that we know this was an accident, it was a horrible accident, 
And, but they don't really care to hear that because it's not as sensational. It just became sensational because of Isleworth millionaire Bob Ward. You know, this guy's rich, we want to get him. We don't, we don't really care, it could be an accident, but you know what, this sells better. It was so surreal, you know, you just play it over, it's like, no, this really cannot be what's happened to us. Online speculation was even more brutal. That also um, was a time when you know, the internet and social media was becoming more, uh, just more a part of, of culture. And I remember the you had kind of these like online sleuths that would be going through publicly available information and, and finding out all these things about the family and the lawyers involved and the financial issues. They can hide behind their stupid little email address and say whatever they want. You cannot imagine what some of these people have said. Oh my God, they're crazy. Let's see, one was that Bob had embezzled money. One person even put a dollar value, like $40 million, and that I was hiding that until he got out of prison. The other one is that Bob and I were having an affair. This isn't the first time that Billy and I heard this allegation that Paula was having an affair with Bob, her sister's husband. I think that people were just trying to come up with a reason why my aunt is being there with my dad and, you know, why if, you know, her sister is dead, why she's taking her dad's side. And it's got to be because they must be having an affair. I think that that, you know, the answer can't be she must not think he did it. The answer must be she must be screwing him and she's glad her sister's dead. Here's Sarah Ward with her take on the accusations. Paula and my dad were more like brother and sister. Regarding the rumors about her protecting him because of the payroll, I think it was, they were just trying to grasp at anything. And like, when you just throw things at a wall and see what sticks. Because the company was tanked. Yes, she worked for him, but there was no company anymore to do anything for. She was supporting him because she... That's basically her brother, and she loves him. When I got an opportunity to sit down with Paula, she opened up to me about her experience. I know people will accuse you of having an affair with Bob. How did that, on top of everything else you were going through at that time, how did that make you feel? Was it hurtful? Yeah. And especially, you know, people that don't know you are making a judgment, but then sometimes people you know are making a judgment. This is what our society is like now. The more you fall, this is what they like to see. It's like, is, is this gonna sell? I will never get over that, ever, ever, ever. It was horrible. On top of the public's judgment, Paula, Mallory, and Sarah felt like the district attorney's office looked at them as criminals because they believed that Bob was innocent, despite being officially listed as the victims in the case. If you look at this case objectively, the fact that Paula believes in her brother-in-law's innocence so much, it, it really is interpreted as a good sign leaning towards innocence. Because if you look at another example, like you look at The Staircase, right? That documentary, The Staircase, portrayed the fact that the victim's daughter in that case and the sister vehemently believed that the defendant, Michael Peterson, was guilty. But here, we have no one in Diane Ward's family believing that Bob actually did this or is capable of doing this, including 
Diane's mother, who was still alive at the time this all went down. Yeah. But, you know, but then you have, on the other hand, you can see in some of these cases of people that have lost loved ones, psychologically accepting the loss of another loved one. This could factor in why Paula and the sisters never even entertained the idea that Bob could have done it, especially for Sarah and Mallory. They just lost their mom. So to believe their dad did it and their dad is going to go away forever means they lose both parents in one day. And that's a lot to take in. Despite being the youngest in the family, Sarah can often be the most philosophical. I think everyone's always looking for some kind of explanation for why things go so awry and why things happen. And especially the media, I think you want the most salacious answer and you want it to be something you can just talk about. And so I understand from that standpoint, wanting it there to be an affair or there to be some financial gain reason because it's the juiciest thing to talk about, but it certainly didn't make hearing it any easier and experiencing it any easier. I was lucky to be left out of the storyline of those kind of things for the most part because they didn't have video of me at the jail, but to see how it made Mallory feel and how it made Paula feel was really, really hard. And to, to live through that and see how it affected their lives was really hard. My sister is the funniest person I've ever met in my life, and she is really good at putting on a brave face, but I know it was really hard for her. And I know for my aunt, it was it was tough as well. I mean, she's got a thick skin, but I think hearing that is hard, and the rumors, it was just awful. The media's lust for more dirt on the millionaire murderer led to another shocking headline an alleged secret buried in Bob's past. An accusation surfaced claiming that Diane Ward wasn't the first woman Bob had pulled a gun on. On Wednesday, September 23rd, 2009, just two days after Bob Ward was arrested for the shooting death of his wife, Diane, The Orlando Sentinel ran a story that instantly made national news. A woman told the paper that nearly 30 years earlier, she had dated Bob Ward. In fact, it was Bob's last serious relationship before he met and married Diane. Her name is Diane Callahan. So yes, there are two Dianes in this story. I met up with her at a coffee shop near where she lives, in a town just northeast of Atlanta. How did you guys meet? We met at a place called Colonial Mortgage Service Company. He ran the mortgage company, and I was working there and going to graduate school at the same time. And what immediately drew you to him, and how did the relationship start? He was just funny, and everybody liked him, and we just hit it off. You know, he had a great sense of humor. He was extremely intelligent. I always said he could turn a dime into a million dollars. And he could. He was a very smart person. He was a very charismatic person. But the other side was the nasty side. And by that I mean he would drink alcohol and he would lose his temper. It it, it was just, it was just terrible. 
I didn't really see a violent side until like the fifth year when um, we met a, a group of friends at a place in Atlanta and I danced with a friend of his and he got angry about it. And he went out to my car and jumped on the roof. He jumped on the roof of my car. <laughs> so. Was he saying anything or? I don't remember him saying anything, but just jumping up and down on the roof of my car. I mean, he was denning in the roof of my car. When he was sober, he apologized profusely for what he had done. It was like it, it never happened. And, you know, you want to believe somebody that they can change. That's the sad part of relationships like this. You want to believe that somebody is going to be a different person the next time. And it just continued. Diane alleged that the relationship had slowly gotten worse over the five years they dated, culminating with a particular incident one night in 1983. Diane had spent the day visiting friends and family in her hometown of Columbus, Georgia, while Bob waited for her to come back home. I was supposed to be at the condo at, at a certain time, and I think I was like 30 minutes late. I came in the front door, and there was a, a hole in the wall. He had hit the wall with his fist. And I, he had been drinking. He just w was acting berserk because I came home late. And so I went up to the bedroom, the master bedroom, which was upstairs, where there's a four-poster canopy bed. And he said, I don't want you seeing your friends anymore. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're spending too much time with your friends. And he reached into the drawer, pulled out a gun that I had never seen, and he pointed the gun at me, and I actually didn't know if that was a real gun or not. I was kind of laughing about it. Like, are you serious? You're pulling out a gun and pointing it at me? I, if I remember correctly, he said, I want you to stop seeing those people. And then he, he puts it down. I don't know if he put it back on the drawer or if he put it on the bedside table. Then he jumps up on the bed. It's a four-poster Baker canopy bed. And I only can say that because he... He took a lot of pride in, in his furniture. So he jumps on the bed and he, what does he do? He, he breaks like, off the post of that, of that canopy bed. Just. I mean, this is a long post we're talking about. I could barely, I didn't have too much room to move to get out of there. And he hit me with it. He hit me, it happened very fast. He, he broke it off. And that's, it's very hard to break off a four-poster canopy bed. So how did he hit you with it? He grabbed it and he, he poked it toward me. And at that point, I was kind of cornered in there. And he, and he hit me on the side of the head. And I, I had TMJ for the longest time after that. What's TMJ? Temporal mandibular joint, where your jaw pops. Diane says at that point, she was able to escape the bedroom. I was crawling down the steps to get out. And I went to the next door neighbors and I was screaming to the next door neighbors to call the hospital, call 911. And that's, that's when the ambulance came and took me to the hospital. The next thing I remember, I mean, I was, my whole, the whole side of my face was, I was in trauma, you know, I was upset. I was in shock that this happened. You don't know how to act in those situations. You know, when you've been hit, you don't realize that you're, 
you've been hurt as bad as I was. You went in an ambulance? Oh, yes. When was the first time that you knew that you spoke with the police? I think it was at the hospital, but I'm not sure. Because I think they had given me something for pain, because the whole side of my face was swollen at that time. I had suffered a traumatic experience. Diane says that she filed a criminal complaint against Bob, as well as a civil one, to cover her hospital bills. But here's the other piece of the puzzle. When I was starting to come after him civilly and criminally, he was coming after me too. He was suing me too. What was he suing you for? He was going to try to turn it around like it was my fault. So he was saying that you attacked him. Right. We asked Bob's family what they had heard about this incident that happened nearly 40 years ago. This is what Paula Seri had to say. I think Bob probably told her that he wasn't going to marry her. They had an argument or something, and that his version is she chased him with this bedpost and I think tried to hit him with it, but her version is Bob was abusive to her and tried to hit her. Well, you know what? Guess what? There's his side and her side in what really happened, you know? And I think it's in a police report somewhere, but I think she even made testimony to there being a gun involved or something, but in the report, there was no gun. To be clear, Billy and I tried to find this police report in order to substantiate either Diane or Bob's version of what really happened that night. But no one involved in this case has any evidence that it even existed. We did, however, contact the Superior Court in Fulton County, Georgia. Sure enough, we were able to obtain a copy of the civil suit filed by Diane in 1983. And what we found is very interesting. The complaint shows that Diane sued Bob for $50,000 in damages. She claimed that Bob intentionally committed an assault and battery, causing her substantial injury, great pain and suffering, loss of work, and possible disfigurement. Curiously, there was no mention of a gun, nor any specific mention of Bob attacking her with a bedpost. Just like Diane said, Bob countersued. In fact, in the counterclaim, it's Bob who brings up the bedpost, claiming that Diane, quote, in a fit of rage, broke a large footpost off the bed and violently struck and injured him with said footpost. He also said she damaged the hood of his car in the sum of $535 after she gave Chase into the parking area. Both sides eventually agreed to drop their suits. After that, Diane and Bob did not communicate for close to 30 years. Then, about six months before he was arrested, Diane says she discovered a message from him in her LinkedIn account. He said he had something he wanted to talk with me about. And I was like, what could he possibly have to talk with me about? And so curiosity piqued me. All I had heard was he's doing extremely well, very successful. My husband said, have lunch in a public place. And so we had lunch at Houston. Immediately, he sits down and orders a drink and he starts telling me about his business and everything that's going on. The economy was sinking. And he started talking about his daughters. He was very proud of his daughters. You know, that was a nice thing to hear. But then he started talking about his wife to me. And she was supposed to meet him at the airport. And she was late meeting him because she was having a manicure and a pedicure. He said he was, he was livid. And I thought, oh my God, that sounds very familiar. But he didn't have very many nice things to say about his wife, which was 
surprising to me because I had heard from my friends that she was a very nice woman, good mother. So I would heard nothing negative about her. What was he saying about her? He didn't say much. He just said that she likes money. He, he talked about the money. He's always about the money. For some reason, he wanted this grandiose life where he wanted to look important. When she later saw on the news that Diane Ward had been shot to death, she was triggered by how the family was seen reacting to it in the jailhouse video. When this case broke wide open, nobody was talking about his wife. Nobody. And she was, she was dead. She was the deceased. They were all talking about when Bob gets out of jail, uh, we're gonna have a nice Thanksgiving. That was repulsive to me. This woman was dead. He was the cash cow. He was paying his, his sister-in-law half a million dollars. She worked for his business. I mean, it's all about the money. She was one of the people that was in front of the, with his daughter going, you're not guilty. So you think there's not any chance at all that this was an accident? I've lived through that. I've seen his temper. You've got to put all the pieces together. And if you look, I have no doubt in my mind. In a pretrial motion filed in early 2011, prosecutors asked for permission to have Diane tell the jury her story about the alleged gun incident in the bedroom. Ultimately, the judge decided to not allow Diane's story into evidence, but did agree to let her testify about the lunch she had with Bob and what he said about his wife. I asked Robin Wilkinson, the lead prosecutor in the case, about the judge's ruling. It happened too long ago. There was not any hospital records found. A police report wasn't made. They clearly sued each other, clearly been an acrimonious relationship. So the judge in her discretion decided to keep it out. So while this ruling meant the jury wouldn't be hearing Diane talk about her past troubles with Bob, there was no denying that the Orlando jury pool could very well have heard about the story. The Associated Press had picked it up and ran it all over the country. Here's reporter Drew Petromo again. I definitely remember his ex-girlfriend coming forward and saying that there was some history of violence in the relationship and that, you know, obviously when you hear that, that makes you wonder if, if there was some sort of a pattern. I remember that definitely kind of having an effect on, at least on the public perception and, and possibly on the jurors as well. As Bob's trial date, September 15, 2011, started getting closer, his defense team grew more concerned about the climate in which Bob was about to be tried. Between the badly tarnished public perception of Bob Ward and the Casey Anthony acquittal, Bob's attorney voiced his concern. The chances of Bob getting a fair trial in Orlando at that point in time was next to none. The Orange County District Attorney's Office didn't see it that way. The trial was scheduled to move forward as planned. Next time on Unraveled, Mystery at the mansion. Out in a patio area, there is a broken wine glass and what looks like a wine stain. She typically drank at least one bottle of red wine a night, and red wine kind of would make her kind of loopy. 
you have a situation that apparently escalated into the bedroom. I can definitely tell her eyes were open when the shot came. So you can deduce then that it's homicide or an accident. I can deduce that she probably most likely did not know the shot was coming. Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Finciun, Biagio Messina, and Jeff Kuntz, along with myself, Billy Jensen, and Alexis Linkletter. Executive producer for ID is Tim Bainey. Additional producing and writing by Margaret Aronson and Mike Gattinella. Our editor is Corey Nye. Archival clips courtesy of CNN. The music and score that you have heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina, Dave Pellman, and the Alibi and Nimble Libraries. Make sure to check for episode four next week on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you know, it helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast that you enjoy listening to. Thank you for listening, for your support. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.